Welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you've set aside a few minutes to spend with us today. In each episode of this podcast, we'll share some of what we're learning in the work we do with kids and families on a daily basis at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Our goal is to help you care for the kids in your life with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow provides meaningful screen time and shared experiences for families to help you grow in your faith together. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.gominnow.com. Josh and Christy Straub lead Famous at Home, a company equipping leaders and corporations in emotional intelligence and healthy family systems. Josh most enjoys coaching leaders to be famous at home so they can thrive on their stage. He also speaks regularly for Joint Special Operations Command and serves military families across the country. Josh is the author of seven books, including Safe House, How Emotional Safety is the Key to Raising Kids Who Live, Love, and Lead Well. He and his wife, Christy, host the Famous at Home podcast and co-wrote the book, Famous at Home, Seven Decisions to Put Your Family Center Stage in a World Competing for Your Time, Attention, and Identity, along with two children's books, What Am I Feeling and What Do I Do with Worry, to help parents foster emotional awareness in kids. A lot of life has happened for the two of you since we were together in the same room. <laughs> a lot of children, it feels yes. like. Yes. yes. In fact, start there. Tell us about your growing family. And also, for any folks who don't yet know about your work, will you tell us about your work? Yeah, it's so cool to actually look back and you look at what God has done. Mm. But we added Micah to our family. So we have nine, seven, and almost two now. And so that has been just the longest, sweetest gift um, Mm. and journey with the Lord for us. But yeah, Micah has been such a sweet addition to our family. It's meant a lot of change and it's meant a lot of, you know, adjusting. It's like we're back into, you know, diapers and strollers again. And we were, we were out of that. (laughs) And yet like the gift that it has been to Mm. us and to our kids actually too. Oh, to watch them is amazing. And I have to be honest too, like our oldest, Landon. So we have a boy, girl, boy, and he's nine. And we're starting to see him exit the lover stage a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to like get sad a little bit for that. But then I realized now we have another boy coming. I can relive the lover stage again. <laughs> there you That's go. Good. There you That's go. good. Like how many times have you actually pulled out the book though? And you're like, Christy, because we're like, what is happening? Something's different and I don't like it. What's going on? And literally, was that just a few weeks ago? He pulls it out and he's like, and he just points, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, no, this is what I'm Stage three is happening. That's yes. what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. It's so good to see them walk in just new levels of character mm-hmm. and responsibility where they're caring for someone else, and it's not so much about them. So it's just been such a gift. Yeah. Yeah. And so for work, we have an organization called Famous at Home that really started out of our own journey. My parents divorced when I was 10, but my dad was always in the stands for me. I mean, he was always present. He was always there. It's funny, Christy said, I'll talk about family, you talk about work. I'm like, yeah, I can talk about work, but that's also the thing that also led me back into my therapy mm. to do, because I just got into a season of crashing and burning and realizing that I took on, I was taking on so much responsibility that didn't manifest itself until I had kids and a wife 
that linked all the way back to when I was 10 as a firstborn who wanted to take care of everybody in the family when my parents divorced. And so I had amazing parents. Like I said, my dad was always in the stands. And so I always wanted to do marriage and family. I wanted to stop the generational pattern of divorce and just really go, how do we level up generationally and cut Mm -hmm. off some of these things from our past? And as we were doing that and in that work, I started getting a lot of phone calls from ministry leaders or business leaders or just folks who were struggling. It's like the biggest phrase I would hear is, I can lead hundreds of people at work, but I go home and I don't know how to lead my own family. Mm. And we were just seeing how the world that we live in tends to pull us away from family, tends to pull our identity away from family. And ultimately, your identity's got to be grounded in the Lord. But what happens is a dopamine bump from followers on Instagram or from accolades from followers or fans or board members or whatever it is that you do is much bigger than when you come home playing game of shoots and ladders with kids who don't even know which way is up and which way is down, right? It's like, <laughs> play toys with me, play toys with me. Yes. And you're like, oh, yeah. And then you're scrolling on your phone and you're realizing like, oh, I'm giving my family my leftovers. And mm-hmm. so we really saw through research and ultimately through scripture that when you put your family first, when you are famous at home, because your biggest fans already live under your roof, mm. when you're famous at home to those under your roof, you show up differently on your stage. There's a mm. difference in the way that I leave and go serve others when Christy's blessing me as I'm going out the door versus when she's going, how long are you going to be going for? When are you coming back? And I'm leaving under that type of an atmosphere of pressure. Mm. And so we just really help families. We do a lot of military families as well as corporations where we just really help build a family-friendly culture because mm. they're realizing that this is really important for the ROI. I mean, at the end of the day, business and all that is all about ROI and the more present their employees are. And so they're just seeing that. And so we just have the privilege of doing that. And we just love helping moms and dads and husbands and wives be famous at home. So that's our heart. You have so many great resources, which we can talk about all of those. But one of the things I think early on when we met you that we knew that you were such proponents of was emotional safety. Mm. And so thinking about that, will you talk a little bit about what that means and how it looks different? And I mean, even the ages you have up to teenagers. The emotional safety thing really came out of our own story. So as Christy was saying, like we have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and now a two-year-old. The reason there's an age gap is because Christy was ill all day, every day for the Mm. first five months of her first two pregnancies, like very sick. You had back issues. Our babies had colic, acid, like we have post-traumatic stress coming out of those first, like legit. She had postpartum depression. I can depression. laugh now, but it's true. Like, it it was, just really was. I remember in those early years, I was 30 by the time we got married. I was finishing my PhD at the time. I'm helping troubled families and juvenile delinquents. Like It can't be this difficult or this complicated. Not that parenting is going to be easy, but could it be simpler than this? And I started going back into the research and going, at the end of my life, what will have really mattered? Because when you're in those survival moments, you're just focused on getting through the day. You're battling each other. And every time I went back to the research, I've constantly saw that every major outcome we desired in our kids linked back to this idea of emotional safety. Mm. As you guys know, as therapists, that attachment, that safe, that secure attachment, what that ultimately meant for us was when our kids are overwhelmed, when they're anxious, when they're not doing well, that fight, flight, or freeze, our ability as parents to not level up and react out of our own parental fears, our ability to be calm, because that calming effect on the brain is what triggers those 
the prefrontal cortex, the right. emotion regulation, the, the social skills, the problem solving, the self-control. So we realized like, oh, as parents, it's not rocket science, it's just brain surgery. Mm. You're, you get to wire your children's brains by how you show up to them. But when we're overwhelmed, when we're stressed, and we're functioning out of our amygdala, it just ratches everybody up and nobody's thinking straight. Right. But when we can show up well for our kids in the moment when they're overwhelmed, what it does is it has a calming effect on their brain and then they think straight. And it's thinking straight yes. that leads to all those major outcomes. And so mm-hmm. we just really found that more than techniques, it was the posture by how we show up mm. that really mattered most. And that's really what emotional safety comes down to. The way I like to describe this biblically is I think Paul, in Philippians 4, he says, let your gentleness be made known to all. Mm. And that word gentleness means your power under control. I have power over Christy. Like I know what pushes her buttons mm. and I have power over my kids. But gentleness is to make your power under control. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So gratitude, the power of gratitude. He says, make your requests known to God. So label your emotions, label what you're feeling, talk about it, verbalize it to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's a calming effect when you verbalize your emotions to God. And it's not until that point that he says, finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, pure, anything excellent, praiseworthy, he says, think on these things. I think Paul understood that when we're anxious, we don't think straight. Mm. And it's verbalizing our emotions in gratitude, being grateful for what we have that leads to our ability to think straight. And so in a finite way, we as parents get to be that peace that can calm our children's brains when they're overwhelmed. From a toddler to a teenager, I really don't think it looks super different. It's just different in how we navigate it. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to get to the underlying feelings behind the behavior. What really is guiding the behavior? What's guiding the temper tantrum as our toddlers throwing a temper tantrum when he can't or she can't truly label what they want? Mm -hmm. And so they're kicking and screaming. We did this last night. Tell us how we know. 1230 yeah. in the night. Like <laughs> he's screaming, he's hot, he doesn't want to be awake, doesn't know what he wants, but he's just kicking and screaming. And it's like, okay, if I see that and I perceive that as a parent as disobedience, I'm going to discipline and I'm going to lead in truth rather than grace. But really what emotional safety is, is leading in grace and following in truth. It's entering into our child's world and going, what's really going on behind that behavior. Yeah. And then the same thing happens in the teenage years. I can think of his dad I was working with and his daughter comes home and she says, you want to go to Friday night football game? And her dad said, no. And she said, dad, I hate you. And she yeah. went storming to her bedroom. The posture of emotional safety is really the dad being able to go, honey, what is it about that Friday night football game that matters to you so much? But so often as parents, we react out of our amygdala and we punish the negative emotion. And we're like, don't you ever speak to me that way again. You go to your room, I'm taking your phone for a month and no, you're not going to that Friday night football game. Do you understand me? Right. Or we minimize it and we're like, ah, it's just a Friday night football game, who cares? Or we dismiss it and we're like, don't be mad at me, right? It's like we either minimize, dismiss or punish. But if we can enter into, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry as parents, That's our way of calming the amygdala, entering into their world and just seeing what's really going on behind the behavior. And to me, that's what emotional safety looks like and Mm -hmm. really is all about. So, Mm. Love that. And just listen to y'all. 
Reminder why we love you too. Yeah, the work <laughs> absolutely. You're doing in the world. Yeah. I love even the way you communicated that. Mm-hmm. And you all, even building on that, we are seeing parents more weary and discouraged than ever. What would you want to say to parents who are in a hard season of just feeling hopeless? I could get emotional right now because I can put myself right back there. Mm. I wrote about it. We have a book coming out called Famous at Home. Seven decisions to putting your family center stage in a world competing for your time, attention, and identity. Mm. I think those three words are really important at the end, time, attention, and identity, because, and I share a story about when I hit what I call the bottom rung of life. Mm. And it was after our second born, everyone told us that like, oh, it's got to be easier than your first, and she was worse. But I talk about really when I hit what I call the bottom rung of life, and I had a toddler, a two-year-old, and a newborn, and I was not okay. I was not doing well. And obviously, we all can relate. Like That season of parenthood is hard. We come in and out of these hard seasons, but when you find yourself in one like that, where just the navigating the reality of this, of the dailiness of that season, it's hard. It's harder than other seasons. But I recall being there in my kitchen And it was like the smallest thing would just set me off. Something, it was a pot that fell in the kitchen and I just lost it. Like I just started sobbing. Later on, I was diagnosed with like adrenal burnout and all these things. But I'm like, I didn't know. I was just exhausted. I was tired. But all the the comforting things of like, this will get better. Like nothing was helpful. Like I was- This too shall pass. Oh yeah. Mm. Just cherish these years, (laughs) these days. You're going to miss them. I'm like, I will miss nothing about this. No, I will not. (laughs) I am not sleeping. I am not even sane, honestly. And I remember Josh, he put his hands on my shoulders, like on either side. And he looked me square in the face and he said, Christy, I just want my wife back. And I just started sobbing because I realized in the moment, I was gone and I didn't know where I'd gone, but that started, that was the realization that somehow along the way I had lost Christy and I was on this bottom rung of life and I needed to start climbing back up. And I didn't know what that looked like, but in Famous at Home, we talk about that journey where it was really reaching up for that next rung and what was that. And we talk about these seven decisions they're really the daily things that we have to decide to do, but I believe it starts with us as parents. I think we so often spend so much time and attention and our focus on the kids. We don't actually have much to pour out anymore. We're Mm. too weary. And so the first decision is literally to make the next best decision for you. So what is the thing that is going to allow you to show up as the best version of you? So what is that right now? That might be like for Josh, it was waking up before the kids and before me so that he had time alone to spend with the Lord, to work out so that when the kids all came downstairs, he was centered, I'm grounded. I'm a different human if I had my workout in yeah. and I've spent time with Jesus before everyone else is out of bed. Mm-hmm. I knew the atmosphere of our house would change mm-hmm. if I just made that one change. And it's just that one shift. And I think so often we try to change all the things at one time, but it's just... It's just a I pivot. think it's important for yours too. For mine, it was sugar. I had to give up sugar. Mm-hmm. It was the high for my day. It was the thing I would look forward to. And yet and then it starts, I mean, you know, the shame spiral of, and just, it would put me in a not great place. And I realized I have to start there. And so I know sometimes the hopelessness and the despair and the exhaustion feels so overwhelming and you're drowning in it. If you can find, what is one thing that you can change right now 
I realized I was on the bottom rung. I was literally giving to my kids the worst version of me that I'd ever been. I didn't even know who she was anymore. And it wasn't true of who Christy is, but I had to start making shifts to prioritize me again. And I know sometimes that feels rarely, oh, self-care, but it's deeper than that. Mm -hmm. It is an actual shift in a priority that you're no longer on the bottom rung, like you need to be placed on the top. And there's something about the shifting of just that part, even in our own minds and hearts, that starts to put us in a different headspace. One of the biggest things that we find, and I don't know how you all see this too, but I say that I sum up all of parenting research Mm. into one primary conclusion, and that's that our kids become who we are. Mm. Christy's like, I don't like the word parenting. Mm -hmm. I think the word becoming is a much better word to describe how our kids will turn out than the word parenting. Mm -hmm. I think there's a big myth that if I take care of myself, that's selfish as a parent. And the reality is, is you need to be taking care of yourself. Christy and I have a therapist in our own lives. We have a life coach in our lives. We each have a spiritual director. We have our local pastors. (laughs) Like we surround ourselves with people because we just see that our emotional ceiling will be our children's floor. And we just wanna constantly raise that in our home so Mm -hmm. that we're growing so that our children have that space to grow as well. And I just encourage parents just to ask for help. I think so often we just get, especially if you're a solo parent, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's just hard to ask. And man, I just have so much respect for those of you who are just solo parents and Mm -hmm. because it is so hard with two. And Mm -hmm. so don't be afraid to ask for help. It is necessary and important. Feels so much like the verse you were talking about before, present your request to God. Saying, yeah. this is what I need. Not yeah. just this is what I feel, yeah. but this is what I need, yeah. too. Yeah. And, that and it is a I... hard time right now. Like, mm-hmm. it is hard for everybody. I yes. mean, it is just, yeah, I hate using the word unprecedented, but it is weird times yes. <laughs> that we've never experienced. Mm. So give yourself grace, too, because not only are we the first generation that have ever really experiencing technology invading our homes. Mm -hmm. Now we're the first generation, really not the first, but the first in our lifetimes of experiencing a pandemic and all of that kind of stuff, everything that goes with that, the schooling, the ripple effect of all that. So give yourself grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. So shifting from parents to kids today, we have been talking a lot this season about vintage values. What's a vintage value you believe kids are struggling with now more than ever before? Okay, so I have mine, but then Josh is like, I think we need to look up like the actual vintage values that David and Sissy have. (laughs) And so mine isn't one of yours, but my theory is that it kind of undergirds a lot of yours. Okay. Resilience. Mm, Yes. Resilience. I think our children are weaker and more feeble than in history. And I think our own anxiety we have placed on them in our own anxiety, which is real. Like Josh is saying, we are carrying heavy loads that, are, and we're not quite sure how to navigate them. And that's okay. There's no training manual for this. So we are feeling it ourselves. But in our anxiety, we're putting that on our kids by trying to actually overprotect them. And we've removed a lot of the stressors mm-hmm. and a lot of the hard things because we think they've endured a lot of hard things, which is true. But in different ways, like, so the resilience thing I've realized is at least even in our home that I would love to start to just build into our kids. This resilient thing of, 
I can do hard things. And instead of looking at something scary, we talk about this all the time, you know, when girls are worried, anxious, afraid, instead of running from the thing, we start to encounter the thing and we start to, you know, move in a direction of strength and bravery rather than fear and avoidance. And so for us, that means like pushing our kids to do the things they don't want to do. And I know that some people are probably might get a little like, I don't like that. I understand the hesitancy, but I think what we're trying to build into our kids is you will need to do things when you don't want to do them. You need to know how to do hard things and to feel that resilience thing, like that muscle of courage and strength. And I've got this. Mm -hmm. I can do hard things. So friends of ours, I was going to say make, Mm, that is kind of true. They make their kids do one mile outdoors every day. Wow. On their feet. Wow. They can walk it. They can run. They can jog. They can, you know, meander. But so it could take as long as they want, but rain, shine, snow, hail, whatever, one mile outside every day. And we've sort of adopted that because I just think there's something to having to learn to do the hard thing, regardless of how it feels. Mm. And it's building in us and in our kids a resilience that I think we all need. Mm. I love that. Yes. Resilience. Yeah. Mine's similar to hers, and it goes along with what you guys talk about is resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. Just, I think, our kids learning to do, you know, we live in such a technological world today, and I think it leads away from entitlement as well. So Mm -hmm. it does play into resilience quite a bit, but just having our kids as they can age appropriately begin to own something in the house, a chore Mm. where they are a part of our family team. They're a part of what we do as a team, as a family. It's expected that in our home that whoever cooks dinner isn't going to clean up dinner. But now this week we implemented the kids are now part of meal planning and they have a night that they cook. They're nine and seven. So they have to find the recipes, come up with the menu, write out the grocery list. Now, I don't go get the groceries. I do grocery pickup or delivery because why not? But I'll get the groceries for them. And then they plan the dinner. They set the table. They make the decor. They do the whole thing. But I realized for me, partially it's working myself out of a job. Mm. Great. Mm -hmm. But it's also giving them a skill that's something that they can contribute to the family. And they realize, I don't have to just sit and wait. I'm like, what's for dinner, mom? Like, I get to make choices too. And I also get to realize, oh, this is a lot of work. And mom and dad do this every night. I should be grateful. <laughs> and yes. I think too, what happens there is so as parent, it takes a lot of patience to do that. Mm. It takes a lot of patience as parents. And a strong stomach sometimes and probably too. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. it's so uh-huh. It takes a lot of patience as parents because teaching my son to do woodwork or teaching my son to cook, they're not going to do it right the first time. But yet so often what ends up happening is I think it's easy for us to jump to blame as parents. Well, we told you lo- unloading the dishwasher was your responsibility or loading the dishwasher, but yet, you know, they're not doing it right or they're not doing it the way we want them to. And so they see us correcting them or they see us jumping in and we have to train them. There has to be training before blaming. And I think so often as parents, though, we are so busy in our lives that we miss out on the training and we don't have the patience ourselves to do it. But I just think from a vintage standpoint, I just love to get back to even as parents, just shutting our own technology off and entering into our kids' worlds and going, I'm going to train you to do this. It's not going to always look hunky-dory in like every sweet moment, but I think what it does is it builds confidence in our kids, which I know you guys talk about. So just that confidence 
but we have to have those vintage values of patience and understanding as well. So, yeah. Yeah, true. Sissy, Melissa, and I love to link arms with other like-minded friends who are working to strengthen families. That's why we are so thrilled to be partnering with Minnow to bring you the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. Minnow is a streaming service designed just for kids, but it's so much more than that. Minnow not only provides meaningful screen time, but also shared experiences through devotionals and discussion guides for families to help you grow in life and faith together. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.gominnow.com. Okay, I just have to detour here and tell you both. I loved hearing you tell the story about the mile a day, whether you're running, walking. And I, back in my 20s, was a runner. No one who looks at me now would think that was true. I can barely (laughs) walk well now, but once upon a time, I really was. And I ran a marathon in my 20s. And when I was training... There was this marathon happening in January that was called the Frostbite Marathon because, as we all know, it's cold, crazy cold in the city. And I will never forget this race as long as I live. Ran with one of my best friends, and it was pouring buckets of snow. By the end of the race, I had icicles on my eyelashes. We fell like four (laughs) times, and I still to this day, 30 years later, still think in the hardest moments, like, you know what? You can do this. You ran a marathon in the snow. Like at one point in your life. Yes. So good. And and do you know even connect that more to the real moments of life? Like my gosh, it's gonna make me sad. My best friend just lost his mom this past week, who I ran that race with. And Mm. we were texting a lot because I was out of town in that time. And, you know. We've all lost parents in this room and walked that journey out. And I kept thinking about him and knowing, you know, as we know, like walking a parent you love to Jesus is one of the Mm. hardest things any of us will do this side of heaven. And I even referenced that in the harder moments with him. Like, I'm praying for the man who fell in the snow with me right now, who's doing some of the hardest work of love you will ever do in your life right now, you know? And I think, just love the thought of kids being able to anchor to these different concrete experiences where they've done something really hard that reminds you when you come up against the hard stuff of life that you can still do it. So I'm just cheering you on Yeah, with with raising your milers. Oh, it makes (laughs) me like emotional. I just look back and it is those marker moments where you realize the stuff you're made of. And if you're not calling on that stuff, if you don't pull it out, like we did this family triathlon and the kids had never really biked that far or ran that far. And it was a canoe. You put them all in a canoe, but our son, it was pouring rain. Mm -hmm. Like half the people canceled, but we still showed up like idiots. But anyway, (laughs) it was great. And we're soaked to the bone and the run got flooded out so the lake had come up and covered part of the path. So they're like, just go up to where it's like blocked off and just come back. But Josh and Landon are oldest. It's a two-mile run. We're like, was the part of it, yeah. we're doing this. So right. Landon runs through standing water up to his <laughs> knees. And I'm I pushing mean, a stroller. I got Micah, the littlest. Yeah. <laughs> in so the it's like, awesome. Yeah, in the stroller, you know, with the thingy up so that it's not getting wet for rain. And Landon's with me. 
And he did it. He, he ran, ran that through. Thing. And I will tell Running you, like, water, please don't like, hear this as like, oh, your kids are like, so have great attitudes. No, they don't. Like, he's our complainer. He's our one, like, mm. I don't want to do it. It's hard. Or, oh, it's hot. You know, and he did it. Mm. And the number of times, David, like you're saying, we reference back to that. And mm. he's like, yeah, that was cool. That oh, was, his face. That was yeah. really cool. Yeah. Like, and he did it. And he ran the whole way through standing water. And those are the things that make us. Yeah. Mm. We go back yeah, they to are. 30 yeah. years later. Yeah. What would you all say for the parents who are listening who think, not only did I not grow up with that, but I haven't done it yet. Mm. And my kids are now 12 or 15 or 17. Is it too late? Yeah, it's a great question. I love how God made our brains so malleable to mm. grow and to be resilient. So I would say this, no, the answer is it's definitely not too late. So let me start with the first one being, what about to the parent who's saying, man, this sounds amazing, but I'm not emotionally safe. I haven't really been taking care of myself. I'm on the bottom rung of life where Christy was. I think one of the biggest encouragements for us was John Gottman, who's kind of like a top marital researcher. He also did research on emotion coaching kids. And in his research, he found that if you get it right just two out of five times, you can still get the outcomes you're looking for in your kids. So it's only like 40% of the time. Like even Shaq shot better than 40% from the free throw line. Like, <laughs> like the reason it's two out of five times is because you're a parent, you are human, you are gonna say things you regret, you're gonna raise your voice, you're gonna mess up. That is okay. But there's a word in the research called repair. And the research says that it is the ultimate of relationships. What does the Bible call it? calls it forgiveness. And mm. Jesus tells us to practice it a lot. Mm. And so when you do mess up, our ability as parents to enter into our child's world, apologize for our specific offense, and talk to our kids about how we can make it right, what it does is it shows, number one, that we're not perfect. It also helps our kids realize that we don't expect them to be perfect, and we're modeling for them how to make it right when we're not. And that, to me, is redemption. So even with that, maybe your kids are teenagers and maybe you're listening and they're even in their 20s and you're just going, man, I have a, a really strained relationship with my kids right now. Our ability to continue to enter into our child's world and to become students of our kids, to find out what is really their strengths, what is their passions, what are their interests, and to go where they are. I had a mom of a 12-year-old ask me, she said, Josh, she said, my son's learning how to rap and I have no idea what to do. And I said, well, I just went through a list of questions like, is he hanging out with kids he shouldn't be? You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, bad company corrupts good character. She said, no, he's hanging out with his youth group kids. They're great kids. I said, was he listening to lyrics that are, you know, demeaning to women or that you know, have violence? And she said, no, he's listening to Lecrae. And I said, well, then I only got one piece of advice for you. I said, learn how to rap. You know? <laughs> That's great. Josh. Because if you don't, he'll find other people who will, and you'll build a wall mm. between your heart and his. And so I think for a lot of us as parents, often we look at our kids' dads out here, man, I just wish my kids would stop playing so many video games while the son's going, I just wish my dad would sit down and play video games with me. Mm -hmm. And I think as parents, we have to really go, okay, how can I enter into my child's world? Because that's the first step. It's not too late. You can do this. But sometimes it requires us as parents to go, how can I enter into my child's world? Even if I don't agree with his or her behavior or even what they like, what their passions are. The Bible says to raise your kids in the way they should go, not the way we want them to go. Mm -hmm. And so we want to find their passions, their strengths, their interests, and let's enter their world and find how we can help support them in that. Okay, you two, speaking of vintage, what are some things from your growing up that you love to bring back? That's an easy one for me. 
landline phones only. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's probably the biggest thing. I just remember riding my bike to my friend's house. We're playing in the creek. There was no video games, no phones. I oh, shouldn't I had say Super that. Nintendo. There were video games. There were there was <laughs> Tech Mobile Super- on Nintendo. Yeah, mm. I remember playing Tech Mobile with my friends, but you didn't carry it with you everywhere mm. you went. You went inside, you played for a little bit, probably on a rainy day, and then you're outside. We have wiffle ball tournaments. We would get mm. all the guys in the neighborhood and set up a bracket for wiffle ball tournament. Like that's the stuff that I go. I just wish we had that again. Still happening. Yeah. And I think it's just the lack of like that social comparison because you didn't know, right? Mm. Like you only knew kids were at someone's house because their bikes were out front. Right. You know, it wasn't like they're posting on social. To be honest, there's a part of me that dreads that for my kids. Mm. Just to have to now walking into like the middle school years where it's the competitiveness Mm. and to go back to where it's just stay in your lane, Mm. like live the life that God gave you and live it to the fullest Mm. and stop looking to the left and the right. And it is trickier now because it's so visible, everyone else's lane that they're running. That's so true. What about a fun thing? What's something that you loved when you were kids? Maybe it was Super Nintendo, Okay. Could be a band, a show. What was one of your oh, favorite a things? Band, song, anything. We, we grew up a little bit different, Game. so yeah. Josh is four years older than me, and also wasn't raised in like a super. I grew up on Foreigner, and Def Leppard, <laughs> and like Aerosmith, and <laughs> okay. So, and you I know, grew up like... Michael W. Smith, DC Talk. <laughs> okay, um, I saw Michael in concert. Well, he lives here too, but I saw him in concert last couple years ago for Christmas with, mm. the, with the National Symphony. Mm. I wept like a baby. We brought our kids. They were like the only kids at the symphony. I think we were so <laughs> out of place. They fell asleep by like intermission, but I like lived my childhood dream. Like Aww. I loved him so much. I saw I Def miss- Leppard in concert one time, but I didn't necessarily feel the same affection, but still. I don't even <laughs> know who that is. Leopard. Like I've heard of that. I don't even know who that is. Like that's what's funny. And it's funny is I go back and listen to lyrics that I grew up listening to. Yeah, this is my pushback on it. He's and like, I how start, do you not know that? I'm like, would I, you let our kids listen to that? He's like, to well, lyrics no. Out, I'm like, oh my goodness. I did. I had no idea. I just didn't know what they right. said. You you just, they were just good. Right. You know, it's right. just like, yeah. So, oh yeah. So great. Yeah. Just great. But I feel like some things that we're actually bringing back from my childhood, because we go to therapy and we we try to continually doing our own work mm. so that we are, again, leveling up and doing that for our children as well. But some of it I realized I was most alive. We had a boat, an orange boat, bright orange. We called it Big Orange. We would bring it out on the lake. I'm Canadian, so it was one of the great lakes up in Canada. And that was like where I was most myself and alive. And so mm. that was actually a really cool story. I prayed about it and I was like, Lord, I just miss that boat. Like I miss those days on the water and tubing and skiing and just being out in the sun with my family. And about a week later, I heard from my cousin. I totally forgot. My dad had actually given it away to a cousin in the family. And she contacted me and she's like, yeah, it's funny. We just don't use it anymore. Our kids are grown. They've gone off to college. Would you guys want it? No. So you have Big Orange today? We don't now. We gave her Yeah, we had her for a year. Her, the the motor, motor went out. Yeah. She was like- and it was kind of like after 40, 40 some years. Yeah, seven 40, year yeah. old boat. So now we're a part of a boat club, but it's similar. I so mean, fun. Yeah. Anyway. I don't have to pay for the- Yeah, it's just great. Boat club. It's a little reason. more convenient, but- I like become a kid every again. Mm. Like every time we go out on the water, I'm like, there she is. Mm. I don't even know if the kids enjoy it. I do. So, 
Yeah, we enjoy being out. Yeah. yeah. Well, y'all just talk about each of your resources because we want folks to be able to find you and know about all yes, of these right. wonderful things y'all have written and put together. Yeah. So I wrote Safe House a number of years ago, and that was on emotional safety, how emotional safety is the key to raising kids who live, love, and lead well. And we talked a little bit about that. We have a new book coming out, which we're super excited for, called Famous at Home. As Christy mentioned, seven decisions to put your family center stage in a world competing for your time, attention, and identity. And that's a very you all long. You say that very well. It's a subtitle. very long subtitle. We, okay, they make the you do this now for like because Amazon, Amazon like or keyword. They want you to have a long subtitle, and it just was like, wow, that's a mouthful. But and sometimes I'll say called famous at home. Just called famous at home, <laughs> and then sometimes I'll start that. it, and I'm like. Oh wow! I started this. I have to finish it. You know, <laughs> seven I decisions. Committed, uh, I committed. There's times I've actually thought about that. And then we have a series of children's books. It started with "What Am I Feeling?" and we have a feelings chart in the back, as you guys do with kids all the time. It has a poster that you can hang in your kid's bedroom, that type of thing with the characters. And then we have "What Do I Do with Worry?" and "What Do I Do with Anger?" We'll release pretty soon. We have 25 Days of the Christmas Story, which is an Advent experience for families uh, to disciple their kids. Those are out now. What's your website yeah, that we can we direct them to? Famousathome.com. Famousathome.com. Those are our resources. We're just really huge on emotions, as you guys, you know, just the power of emotions. I think mm. God speaks to us through emotions. I think one of the reasons that we get in trouble in life is because we're not stopping to pay attention to our own emotions and just the ability, and we talk about this in Famous at Home in the book, is just the journey of having an emotional vocabulary in your mm. home and prioritizing that. Because I think a lot of us grew up in a generation that didn't really have that, and we just find it to be incredibly important. So that's really the heart of why you hear so much about feelings and emotions coming from us, is mm. we just really do a lot of work on the power of emotional intelligence and how it leads to all the major outcomes we desire in our kids. Yes. Yes. So we like to end with something fun, and you all know we love to share a good meal with you too. And if we could around tacos, what would your favorite be? <laughs> Which is funny because we're going for tacos after this. We don't have kids you right now, so we're that, going on a lunch date. Yeah, it's so I fun. I love yes. the sound of that. And we actually planned that far before. We were like, we should go to Bar Taco because we're up here and we can. So I get the Baja fish tacos. Ooh. I used to try the other ones and I'm like, why, why? Why even, <laughs> like just, I'm like only them, they're my favorite. And I'm the same way, it's fish. Yes. Fish. I mean, I'm just trying to be like one of the disciples, you know? Totally, <laughs> just, yes. Yeah. Blackened yeah. fish tacos are really good too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, makes me think. So many yeah. tacos. So many tacos, so many good tacos. Yes. There really are. I always go back to fish. Yeah. Y'all, it's so fun to get to talk to you. It I'm just glad sure to be with you it guys. It just does. It feels like what you said in the be beginning, here. such confirmation that we're just so like-minded in so many spaces and yeah. loving kids and families. And thank yeah. you for who you both are and what you're bringing to parents and to kids. I curious. Thank you. Yeah. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow helps you make screen time meaningful for your family with shows kids love and values parents trust. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.g-o-m-i-n-n-o.com. It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House. Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.